Let's bow our hearts and our minds this morning uh, before God as we hear his word. Father, as we turn to open your word, we are a blessed people, a blessed people that you have revealed yourself to us in your written word, that you have given the redeemed, the Holy Spirit, that we might hear your voice and come to know you as our God and Savior, creator of all things, redeemer of all things, in whom and for whom are all things. God, we ask here that you would help us to see you bigger in our lives. Oh, that through the power of the Spirit and the truth of your word, that you would be magnified in, uh, in our lives. We see you as too small. And you are great. God, be exalted in the hearts and the minds of your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A week before Christmas, one of my instructors out at the base was in a mission with a student. And he was struggling with the student, trying to convey, get, get the point across, and he was frustrated. And while he was there, his phone lit up. And he saw it was from his brother. And his brother doesn't call him in the middle of the day. In fact, he seldom speaks with his brother. And so he told the student just a moment and answered the call and found out that his 91-year-old father had taken his life. The issues with a struggling student suddenly became nothing. It's not uncommon for people to be arguing over who are we going to elect in 2024? What about Biden? What about Trump? What about somebody else? Is there not somebody else? And you get frustrated and perhaps brother is set against brother, the liberal brother, the conservative brother, and you are in conflict. And perhaps you had a terrible Thanksgiving over such a thing, but then you got home and you found a lump. And the election of 2024 doesn't matter. <laughs> it does. But there are primary things. There are really, really primary things of great and utmost importance. And then there are, there's the other stuff. And so often we get wrapped up in the other stuff. We miss the glory and the wonder and the importance of the primary things. As we turn to a new year, an election year, we are going to hear the whispers of Satan all over the place. Did God really say? It's gotten so bad that in colleges and universities, on television and in the movies, from stages at concerts to press conferences in the halls of government, that Christians are mocked for being so obtuse and so uneducated that they believe God said anything. So what are you going to do with that in 2024? 
as we walk over into a new year? Are you going to collapse like a house of cards when the slightest breeze of opposition and hostility blows past you at work? Or when the diagnosis comes to you? Or will you stand like a giant redwood in the mountains of California in the midst of a fierce wind? This is my final sermon in my Anchor Point series this year where I've taken a verse of scripture and we peeled it back. We've looked at it together to understand why is that verse such an important verse? Why is that verse so substantial? Why is it important that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Why is it important that we continue on faithful knowing that we will reap if we do not lose hope. My hope today as we look at Psalm 1, my plea for all of us here is to find our joy and our strength in the Lord and in his word each and every day. And I say this you know, as I look out, we got, we got little ones in here too. We've got mid-level ones, teenagers here. We've got senior saints here. This isn't just for older people. This is for the kids too. That we find our joy and hope in God and in his word. Only in God's word will we find the truth of who he is and the way he would have us go in this life and a firm foundation for us in facing the storms and dilemmas in our travel towards our eternal home. Our passage today is Psalm 1. We're going to look primarily at verses 1 through 4. Read along with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We see right off the bat that God and his word are our source of joy and delight. Blessed is the man, happy, joy-filled, satisfied, full, that's what it means. Happy is this man. And what makes him blessed? And there's two things that are, are highlighted right off the bat. One of them is a negative things, thing, things that he doesn't do. And the other is a positive thing, things that he does do. The first thing we see is that he does not dwell in darkness. He does not hang in darkness those who stand opposed to God have loved the darkness. It's not merely that they are in darkness and thus separated from God in their sin as we all once were, but they actually love the darkness. They love life opposed to God. That's what 
the gospel tells us, John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is the posse of fools that we see in Psalm 1. David, or the, the psalmist, gives three descriptors. Really, he's just, he's talking about the same thing. You know, are, are you going to walk with them? Are you going to stand with them? Are you going to sit with them? Who? The wicked. The one who is opposed to God. He is hostile to God. The word is, means like a criminal. He is wicked in all that he does. Why would I seek the advice of such? Why would I consider their counsel? Or why would I stand along the path of the sinner? A sinner is one who misses the mark. Oh, I try to be righteous, but I'm just not. I keep falling short. I keep falling short. Well, you know, I don't want to fall short. I want to cross the line. I want to win. I want to, as Paul says, obtain salvation, the resurrection from the dead by any means possible. Why would I hang with those who are delighted that they are missing the mark? Or why would I sit with the scoffers? Psalm 74 verse 22 says, The foolish scoff at God all the day long. Haughty, arrogant is such a man. Prideful, Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant the haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. They disdain everything, everything that is good. The scoffer is just going to, eh. And why would I sit with such people? This place is no place for those who desire the joy of the Lord and fullness only to be found in God and not in the lies and the deceit of the world. The posture of the blessed man is not to hang with these folks. He doesn't go with them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company ruins good morals or corrupts good character. They will rub off on you. Now, this doesn't mean don't interact with the ungodly. That's not what it means. To live such a life is to be taken out of the world and to go up in a monastery. And I'm sorry, but there you will only find sinful people as well. God calls us to interact with a lost and fallen and a dying world in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplace, in Walmart, and on the highway. But I don't spend all my free time with such people. These are people who are not going to nourish your soul. These are not my best friends. This is why God calls Israel to be a blessing to all nations. But at the same time, he tells them to come out and be separate in Isaiah 52, 11. You are to be a distinct and holy people. And by that, you are to be a blessing to all nations in your interactions with them. But God calls that same principle to be found in Christians as well. 
not to be bound in deep relationships with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So on the one hand, we are called not to be stained by the evil that is in the world. And on the other hand, we are called to be a blessing as we live in grace and in truth with the lost. So negatively, we see in Psalm 1 that the blessed man does not hang here. Positively, we see that his joy and his delight are found in God's word. How important is God's word for the saint? John Piper wrote, I have never met a mature, fruitful, strong, spiritually discerning Christian who is not full of scripture, devoted to regular meditation on scripture and given to storing it in the heart. And that's not a coincidence. I can't say that God is my delight if I want nothing to do with his word. I can't say it's my delight if it has no place in my day. If I don't speak to my wife, I can't say, well, at least I sleep beside her at night. I'm called to have relationship. God calls us to have relationship with him through his word. To what extent? It says day and night. Always. God's word has a place in our life always. It should be affecting everything that we do. What aspect of our lives are not spoken of by God in his word? God's word touches every aspect of what we do. Why does your car need oil? How often does it need oil? Can you take the oil out of it and it still run fine? If you have no oil in your car, your car's not long for this world. God's word is the oil of our life. It is the fuel of our life. It is the food and nourishment of our life. Man does not live by bread alone. Jesus. But by every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why? Because God is the word. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. He has revealed himself to us in his word. And it is by his word that we live and move and have our being as his creatures. Day and night, it should be part of us. But we should also meditate on it, to think on it. That requires purpose. That requires plan. Meditation doesn't just happen. I have to choose in my life 
to think on this thing. I can't hope to grow spiritual by a meme on Facebook. As fine as those are. And as true as some of the things are there. But is that going to have an impact on my life? Am I going to think on the truth of God's word contained in that nugget? I have to purpose. So as I open God's word, as you open God's word, ask questions. God let me hear your voice. Let me see the God that you are there. Who wrote it? Consider who wrote what you're reading. You know, who was the author? Yeah, God was the author. But who was the actual guy who had the pen in his hand? To whom did he write it? Why? When? What was going on culturally at that time that would cause this letter to be written? And... As I thought this morning when I saw this check, who is this God that he would reveal himself to me? That I would see and hear his voice. Yes, I am to meditate on God's word day and night. But notice what it says about this guy. It's a delight. It is a delight to him to hear and be in the word of God. God's word is a joy to his heart. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Jeremiah writes, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Proverbs twenty-two seventeen says something very similar. The writer of Proverbs says, incline your ear, tilt your ear, listen hard. I'm growing hard of hearing. And more and more I'm having to do that, huh? Incline your ear, hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. Delight. Now, in truth, you may say, I don't find that delight when I open God's word. And, and I appreciate the truth of saying that. But that's like when you're watching a movie and all of a sudden you hear that really deep bass minor chord and you know something bad's about to happen. Boom. Goes down and you're going, uh-oh. So it is a good thing to recognize perhaps that I don't find this delight But I have to understand what a serious statement that is. I do not delight in the word of God. I do not delight in the word made flesh. I can't say I delight in Christ and not delight in the word. Because he is the word. So if I am in that situation, I want you to think of Jacob 
with God. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob grabbed hold hard to God and refused to let go and said, I will not let go until you bless me. Genesis 32, 26. If you do not find delight in God's word, plead with him. Hold fast to him. Oh God, I want to be blessed in your word. I want to find delight and joy in your word. Jesus tells us to ask, call, knock. If you're missing it, ask for it. The ladies just went through James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I am not, I am not going to get and fathom God's word apart from salvation. The unsaved is going to read it like reading somebody else's mail. They don't get it. There's no context. There's no emotion. There's no reality. I don't understand any of this. And so that would be another point of caution. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 7. If we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Are you walking even now apart from God? Do you know Christ as Savior, what does that even mean? If you don't know, find out today. Come and talk to me. Talk to another believer. What does it mean for me to be saved? But in Psalm 1, it's not merely that his delight is in the law of the Lord. God brings blessings to this one who finds his delight in God's word. Blessings will flow upon the man who makes God's word his delight. Now, okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for who's, who's going to make New Year's resolutions to, to trim up or eat right or stop watching so much stuff or whatever. But if you do this, new regimens are hard. First time to the gym, you are going to be sore. First time you try to run, you are not going to go very far. And then the next day you're going to go, why did I ever do this? But after a time, you may find joy in the workout. After a time, you might find benefits from the workout. You still might not like the workout, but you like the benefits that have come from that. Feeling better. Now, when I study God's word, I'm not just in it for the benefits. I'm in it for God. 
That's what I want. My heart's desire is to know God more, to be closer to God. But in so doing, there will be blessings and benefits that flow from that. And the psalmist says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, not like a rose bush, not like Texas grass that withers and dies. Have you ever seen a tree after a car hits it? The bark is a little marred. It doesn't move. The car's a mess, but the tree is just fine. Man cannot snap a tree. That requires a God-ordained wind to do that. Trees grow strong over time. You, as a tree, will be strong in the Lord. Time ring upon ring, year after year, nourished beside the nutrient-laden river, through sun, through storm. It is the sustenance of the river that makes the tree grow strong. It is the life-giving sustenance of God's word that proves a blessing in our lives over the years to help us grow strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But not only will we grow strong, we will grow fruitful. It yields its fruit in its season. A healthy tree by nature bears fruit. It is God's work within the tree that bears fruit. The tree just is. It just drinks up the nourishment and it bears fruit. The works of the flesh, those are the things we want to do. Our, our sinful nature has us desiring to do these things. But as God's word works in our life, we see those works of the flesh being swapped out by fruit that is growing in our lives. Fruits of love, fruits of joy, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of self-control. That's God's work. Now that doesn't presume an idle life for the believer. I am pursuing God, heart and soul. To delight in the word requires me to open it. It requires work to come here and be a part of worship and to meet and fellowship. God pursuing, Christ savior, savoring, spirit sanctifying, we seek God, we shun evil. The blessed man whose delight is in God's word will be led by the spirit and in the power of the spirit in his life will find more and more fruit that glorifies and honors God. So we will grow strong in the Lord in his word. We will bear fruit as we abide in God's word. But notice what he also says, that fruit, that leaf will not wither. Its leaf does not wither. I do not say it may not wither. I say because God's word says it will not wither. How is that? His works, excuse me, his, his roots are anchored 
in nourishment. We have a few plants in our home. And day before yesterday, I was sitting on the sofa and one of those plants was not looking so good. And I took a cup of water to it and in a few hours, amazing. The nourishment from the water and the leaves will not wither. A tree planted by the river has an endless supply of water. We have God's word. And if we are in it, our leaves will not wither. Now, this does not mean that you will not suffer. We were appointed to suffer. Paul wrote to the Philippians, it has been granted to you. Granted. It has been granted. Like, it's been granted to you. Well, that's a blessing. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, yes, but also suffer for his sake. Whoa. (laughs) Through many trials, we will enter the kingdom of God. We are appointed to suffer. In our weakness, his strength and his power is made manifest. We will not wither. And he says, we will prosper at the end of verse three. In all that he does, he prospers. This blessed man whose delight is in the word of God. Now, I'm not talking to you about houses in Vail. You guys know that. We're not talking about a jet down at Kickapoo. We're not talking about vacations to the British Virgin Islands. We know because God's word says it that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. In Philippians, Paul is in jail. Like, okay, if I get arrested this afternoon, I can't think of how that's prospering anything. But while Paul was in jail, in Philippians 1.13, Paul says that he has had opportunity to testify to all of the imperial guard. Prosper. He says that because he is in prison, the brothers are now encouraged to be bold with the gospel because he's in jail. Is he prospering? Yes. And you get to the end of Philippians and Paul writes something that had to, had to make the Philippians just stop and go, what? The second to the last verse in Philippians says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> what? Because you are in prison, you now have an opportunity to testify to the truth of God to Caesar's household. How is God going to prosper you? I have no idea. But all that the man does who finds blessing in the word of God will prosper Not so the wicked. That's a different sermon. 
How can I fathom God apart from his word? How can I begin to understand the Trinity? Where do I learn of God's absolute good and providential sovereignty, even in the midst of darkness and evil and suffering? How do I know the dark depths of my own sin except through the blinding light of God's word? How do I even understand good from evil? How do I understand that glory in suffering and loss? How can I be joyful in the loss of somebody who's beloved to me? How do I know the deep, lavish depth of his forgiveness? How am I to understand that this has even come to pass? What can I expect from the life to come? I understand none of that if I don't have the word of God. So how do I do this? You go, I'm not a reader. Well, I go, I, I get that. But yes, you are. Okay, you are a reader. You're, you grew up in America. You're a reader. You read. You may not read well. You may read slowly. But here's a painful truth. Reading is an appetite to be cultivated. You will pursue, you will pursue what you love. Consider the lengths that people go for concert tickets. Consider the sacrifices people will make to go on their vacation or to go hunting this year. There are countless reading plans out there. I'm not going to tell you which one to follow, which one to read, which one to do. But what I will exhort you to do is to commit and do it. Where do you start? If you have questions, I'm happy to talk to you about that. Psalm 1 is a great encouragement to us that there's going to be blessing and goodness come to our life in God. When I read his word, I would like to leave you with a warning though. Flip over to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12. David's sin with Bathsheba. At the end of chapter 11, this thing that David had done, it says, displeased the Lord. And so God confronts David in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel through the prophet Nathan. In verse 7, perhaps the loudest statement in all of scripture you are that man as Nathan exposes David's sin and God in verse 8 through Nathan says David if you had been lacking anything if you had merely asked you are the apple of my eye I would have lavished even more on you if you had asked God is not a miser. Our God loves you. Our God loves me. Ask. But notice verse 9. God asks David, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do evil in his sight. And it goes on to explain what he had done. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Now look at verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. 
When you despise my word, you despise me. Our conduct is a revelation of our heart. To despise his word is to despise God. To trust in, bask in, follow after God's word is a delight to the Lord. And so there is my choice today. Am I going to delight or am I going to despise? He calls us to intimate relationship with him. In Psalm 1, his word is our delight. He is our meditation. We will see fruit on our withered branches. We will see strength in our lives and sustenance in our difficulty. We will find joy in the word because there we will find our father and our savior, his son, Jesus Christ, through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Commit. You're going to miss days, yes. Satan will use everything in his power to dissuade you from doing it, but continue. For therein you will find delight, and therein you will find God. Let's pray. Father God, spur us today. Break off. the stuff and the grit that has us not moving, that has us anchored in our sin and in our complacency. Oh, help us to see, God, that you stand ready. You stand ready to fill us, to bless us, to give us the delight of our hearts because, God, that is you. Be glorified in us as we find delight in your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.